Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton. G'day and welcome to Macquarie Street Political Podcast. It's great to have your company. Some of you might be wondering why I haven't uh, been putting out a podcast the last uh, two or three weeks. Uh, It's been a pretty challenging time as anyone who's been following uh, my journey will know. Uh, The Christian Democratic Party, where I've worked for the last almost 12 months, has sadly uh, been ordered by a judge of the New South Wales Supreme Court, Justice Black, to be wound up. Uh, This is pretty tragic news Um, and uh, it's affected me not because I was part of the legal action. Uh, The backstory to that is there were two small, very tiny factions within the CDP who had been fighting each other in court for a number of years. And uh, I have nothing to do with this. I'm not part of it. But because their dispute has caused the judge to order that the party be wound up and cease to exist. That affects uh, my employment. I was hoping that there might be some sort of an all-member vote and I would put my fourth self forward uh, for election uh, as president of the party and and hopefully to try and get a a good board that could provide godly and functional leadership. But sadly, that opportunity looks uh, pretty much impossible after this order in the New South Wales Supreme Court. Now, if you want to know more about the backstory of this, I don't want to dwell on it too much in today's podcast. I've got other things I'd like to talk about. But uh, I have done uh, a couple of lengthy interviews, one with uh, my friend Dave Pellow at The, the Good Source. Uh, Good Source, of course, are producers of uh, the Macquarie Street political podcast. So if you go to goodsource.news, you'll see my interview with uh, Dave Pellow there. I've also done an interview with Dr. Jonathan Cole uh, for the Political Animals podcast. Uh, Dr. Cole is a Christian uh, theologian based at Charles Sturt University in Canberra, uh, a young academic, uh, but very thoughtful man. And uh, his political podcast is also highly regarded. And it was a privilege to be able to speak with him. If you put uh, the Political Animals podcast into any search engine, you'll find it there. You can listen to it on Apple Podcasts. Uh, uh, I've talked at great length um, about the lessons Uh, why the CDP, in my view, has failed and the consequences are to Christian voters whose hopes have been dashed uh, by not having a a Christian political party to vote for in New South Wales for the first time in 40 years. Uh, That's uh, the the very serious consequence of uh, this factional fight. When we don't do things the Jesus way, they always end up in catastrophe and that's what's happened here, unfortunately. Uh, I'll be telling you more about my future in the days ahead. Obviously, I'm going through a process of discernment, uh, praying, seeking the Lord uh, for my future. I'd dearly love to stay engaged in the political area, and that's certainly my hope and prayer. But uh, it's going to take a little while for that to uh, unfold. Uh, so um, that's all I want to say about uh, what has been a pretty uh, pretty sad period of time, but um, trusting the Lord for something good to come out of this. Um, So please uh, sit back and enjoy the rest of uh, this week's Macquarie Street political podcast. The Only in America file was the basket we once put the inexplicable and the downright nutty from across the Pacific. As much as we admire our American friends, crazy stuff has always happened there. But in this new interconnected world, Australia is never far behind. And that's why what's happening there matters now more than ever. This week's offering is a woman of the year who is, in reality, a biological male. The National USA Today newspaper names 
Rachel Levine as the woman of the year in recognition of women who have made a significant impact. Levine is the Assistant Secretary for Health for the US Department of Health and Human Services and the head of the US Public Health Service Commission Corps, where he, and I'm gonna use the word he, is a group, heads a group of 6,000 uniformed public health officers. Now, as a senior Biden administration official, Levine has played a key role in the US's COVID response. The only problem is that Levine is hardly a trailblazer for women. He is a trailblazer for men who have appropriated women's gender and then taken career opportunities from them. But what's worse is that the uh, as a transgender activist holding a key public health portfolio, Levine is potentially a danger to children. During his Senate confirmation hearings in February 2021, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul questioned Levine about his views on irreversible experimental sex change treatments for children. Take a listen. Genital mutilation has been nearly universally condemned. Genital mutilation has been condemned by the WHO, the United Nations Children's Fund, the United Nations Population Fund. According to the WHO, genital mutilation is recognized internationally as a violation of human rights. Genital mutilation is considered particularly egregious because as the WHO notes, it is nearly always carried out on minors and is a violation of the rights of children. Most genital mutilation is not typically performed by force, but as WHO notes that by social convention, social norm, the social pressure to conform, to do what others do and have been doing, as well as the need to be accepted socially and the fear of being rejected by the community. American culture is now normalizing the idea that minors can be given hormones to prevent their biological development of their secondary sexual characteristics. Dr. Levine, you have supported both allowing minors to be given hormone blockers to prevent them from going through puberty, as well as surgical destruction of a minor's genitalia. Like surgical mutilation, hormonal interruption of puberty can permanently alter and prevent secondary sexual characteristics. The American College of Pediatricians reports that 80 to 95% of prepubertal children with gender dysphoria will experience resolution by late adolescence if not exposed to medical intervention and social affirmation. Dr. Levine, do you believe that minors are capable of making such a life-changing decision as changing one's sex? Well, Senator, thank you for your interest in this question. Um, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field um, with robust research and uh, standards of care that have been developed. And if I am fortunate enough to be confirmed as the Assistant Secretary of Health, I will look forward to working with you and your office and coming to your office and discussing the particulars of the standards of care for transgender yeah, medicine. The specific question. Now, what you've heard there is how elites dodge questions. In their view, ordinary people are too stupid to understand complex nuances of transgender medicine. These are weasel words which hide reality. But Senator Paul anticipated Levine's obfuscation. Have a listen. The question was about minors. Let's be a little more specific since you evaded the question. Do you support the government intervening to override the parent's consent to give a child puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and or amputation surgery of breasts and genitalia? You have said that you're willing to accelerate the protocols for street kids. I'm alarmed that poor kids with no parents who are homeless and distraught you would just go through this and allow that to happen to a minor. 
I would hope that you would have compassion for Kira Bell, who's a 23-year-old girl who was confused with her identity. At 14, she read on the internet about something about transsexuals. She thought, well, maybe that's what I am. She ended up getting these puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones. She had her breasts amputated. But here's what ultimately she says now. And this is a very insightful from decision from someone who made a mistake but was led to believe this was a good thing by the medical community. I made a brash decision as a teenager, as a lot of teenagers do, trying to find confidence and happiness, except now the rest of my life will be negatively affected, she said, adding that the medicalized gender transitioning was a very temporary, superficial fix for a very complex identity issue. What I'm alarmed at is that you're not willing to say absolutely minors shouldn't be making decisions to amputate their breast or to amputate their genitalia. For most of our history, we believe that minors don't have full rights and the parents need to be involved. So I'm alarmed that you won't say with certainty that minors should not have the ability to make the decision to take hormones that will affect them for the rest of their life. Will you make a more firm decision on whether or not minors should be involved in these decisions? Senator, uh, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field. Uh, and if confirmed to the position of Assistant Secretary of Health, I would certainly be pleased to come to your office and talk with you and your staff about the standards of care. Yet again, Levine refuses to answer Paul's questions, continuing to obfuscate about nuance and complexity. In a glowing interview with USA Today about his achievements as a woman of the year, Levine is asked what motivates him. I'm always motivated by my children who motivate me to work for the common good, he said. Now, the only problem with that is that Levine is not their mother. This woman of the year is their father. And the piece, unsurprisingly, gives a leg up to the rainbow gender fluid ideology. The USA Today uh, ask this question, for transgender, non-conforming uh, people, what is your advice to them on their journey? Levine responds, I think you have to be true to yourself and I think that you have to be who you are. You have tremendous worth just for who you are, no matter who you love, no matter who you are, no matter what your gender identity, sexual orientation or anything else, and to be, to be true to that and anything else will follow. Now, <laughs> Those of us who accept emotivism as the new logic, this makes perfect sense. But for Levine, being true to himself means that in reality, women seeking roles in the Biden administration miss out. Of course, everyone has tremendous worth, and that is why rainbow ideology has such resonance. It goes without saying, we all believe everyone has worth. But having tremendous worth, no matter who you love, has consequences for other people particularly children. A sterile same-sex relationship requires assisted reproductive technology to trample the human rights of other women and children in order to please the same-sex couple. Sadly, most Australian Liberal and Labor politicians buy into this ideology, but Labor is more aggressive in its support of it. Now, with Anthony Albanese on the cusp of becoming Prime Minister, he should be asked his view about treating children with hormone blockers, cross-sex hormones, and the surgical destruction of their breasts and genitalia. If only journalists would do their job. It's only a matter of time before some woke group here in Australia nominates a biological man as woman of the year, and this process will be accelerated under a green Labor government. 
Let's speak up now for women and girls and for motherhood while we can. Many of you signed an online petition I raised in protest about Apple's new pregnant man emoji. This week I went to an Apple store and filmed a little video to say thanks. Well, g'day, I'm coming to you from outside an Apple store somewhere in Sydney. And the reason is because uh, many of you will remember that a few weeks ago, Apple set up a new uh, emoji as part of its uh, suite of emojis that are available for use on social media. We all love them. Uh, but this one was a pregnant man emoji. Yes, that's right, you heard me, a pregnant man emoji. Now, we all know that only women can have babies, but for some reason Apple doesn't think so, and they've bought into this woke LGBTIQA plus agenda to try and confuse children and young people and make people think that we can be trapped in the wrong body and that we can change our, our gender. And so they're trying to affirm this idea and make it part of our mainstream culture. So I set up a petition called Tell Apple That Only Women Can Have Babies. And the great news is that 2,330 odd people signed it. And if you were one of those, I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, I've got them all here. I've written a covering letter to Apple Australia. Your voice is going directly to Apple Australia. Now you might think, well, you know, what difference does me signing a petition make? Well, doing nothing guarantees that there is no difference at all. Doing something at least ensures that it's that it registers, uh, and who knows, as, as we chip away, uh, the truth will win out. But certainly doing nothing guarantees that nothing will happen. So I want to thank you for taking action if you're one of those people. And I just wanted to report back to you today that I've printed out your names, written the cover letter, and this is going in the post to Apple Australia today. So thanks for taking action, really appreciate it. A recent story in the gay media about two of my posts on Twitter contained a trigger warning because people might commit suicide. Playing the suicide card to silence discussion is, is bog standard tactic of rainbow political activists. It is much easier to cancel someone as a danger to humanity than do the intellectual heavy lifting required to engage their argument. As a combatant in the culture wars, the thing I'm most grieved about is the assertion that a difference of public policy, a difference of opinion equals hate towards some of my fellow Australians. Let's be clear, this is a pernicious lie. I hate no one, and like many mainstream Australians, disagree with plenty that flies under the rainbow flag, as is our right in a liberal democracy. Instead of debating my Twitter commentary about the harms of the ideas promoted by Sydney's homosexual Mardi Gras held earlier this month at the Sydney Cricket Ground, the Sydney Star Observer newspaper accuses me of having no love. Its story about me screamed in bold typeface the following trigger warning. This story has details of homophobic and transphobic language which might be distressing to some readers. For 25-hour crisis support and prevention, call Lifeline. For Australia-wide LGBTQI peer support, call QLife, etc., etc. Now, what on earth was I tweeting that might make some people want to commit suicide? What did I say that was homophobic or transphobic? There are no answers in the story, just an assumption. But you can read my tweets for yourself and find out and decide whether or not I'm a danger to vulnerable people. In response to Labor leader Anthony Albanese and his Senate leader Penny Wong marching in the parade, I tweeted the following. If you want your children taught their gender is fluid and that men can fall pregnant and chest feed babies, vote Australian Labor. 
Now, the Sydney Star Observer did not argue that what I was saying was untrue, simply that it was homophobic or transphobic and that people might commit suicide. One can only deduce that they do not dispute the facts of my tweet. Why is the Star Observer phobic about these facts being known on Twitter? I also took aim at children's entertainers, the Wiggles, for performing at the Mardi Gras. Here's how the Star Observer reported my Wiggles tweet. Prior to his attack on Albanese, Shelton also targeted popular Australian children's musical group, the Wiggles, over their performance at the Mardi Gras, which he called an indecent event. It is. Shelton claimed that the invitation to children's entertainers, the Wiggles, to perform at the Mardi Gras is particularly disturbing and, quite frankly, creepy. It is. Anyone who knows anything about what the Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras stands for knows it is no place for kids. But again, the Star Observer doesn't debate, it demonises. This is how cancel culture works. They can't explain why a festival famous for its nudity and lewdness is a place for a Wiggles audience of tiny tots. As Christians and conservatives, we must speak up for the innocence of children and the truth about their gender. Biology is not bigotry. Teaching children their gender is fluid is dangerous and leads to irreversible experimental chemical and surgical treatments increasingly regretted by many later in life. That's why that's what the T in transgender stands for in the whole LGBT thing. Children should not be exposed to sexualized content at adult festivals. That is called grooming. Because we are for children, we are necessarily against the ideology of LGBTIQ political culture and activism which is being imposed on our society. There must always be freedom to speak about this in the public square. Too many people confuse debating an ideology as being against people. This is a conflation the left makes to claim false victimhood status and to avoid debate. Too many people fall for this with their minds in neutral. That's why the Star Observer puts a trigger warning instead of an argument. The porn trade has had a leave pass to exploit young women because its apologists in the media and politics have always claimed it is harmless. The hashtag MeToo movement has dented that perception and a reckoning has begun, but still attitudes remain hard to shift. But there's evidence we are slowly joining the dots between violence against women and porn. Porn paving the way to sexual assault, leader of Queensland Task Force, was the headline in a recent Australian newspaper uh, article. The link between porn and domestic violence will be probed by former Queensland Court of Appeal President Margaret McCurdo as part of a government review of consent laws. It seems that pornography now plays a large role in shaping community beliefs and misconception about consent, McMurdo told The Australian. With the ready availability of the, on the internet of mobile devices, uh, there have been a dramatic increase in young people and children accessing pornography in recent decades. Mainstream heterosexual pornography often contains high levels of violence and female degradation. It can depict sexual interaction where consent is assumed rather than negotiating, McMurdo said. Now, anyone raising concerns like this in the past was quickly labelled a morals crusader and dismissed. But porn has reached such epidemic proportions within, uh, with the average age of exposure now below 10, its toxic consequences can no longer be ignored. 
Several states in the US have declared pornography to be a public health emergency, such as its effect on women and girls. Expect pornography proponents such as Victorian parliamentarian Fiona Patton to push back on the work of McMurdo. Patton, first elected under the banner of the Sex Party, now Reason Party, was the industry lobbyist for the sex trade in Australia, the Eros Foundation. The tide is slowly turning as the truth emerges. Christian minor parties are set to play a key role in Saturday's South Australian election. The relaunched Family First Party and former Senator Bob Day's new Australian Family Party are campaigning hard against Liberal and Labor MPs who voted for abortion to birth legislation. This is irritating the Liberals in particular who fear Family First's preferencing against them in two key seats could cost government. The Liberals really should have thought about this before they promoted abortion to birth laws, normally something the Green Labor left promote. The Australian newspaper reports that Family First preferencing of pro-life Labor MPs in the seats of Kings and King and Newland is a huge benefit to the ALP. Newland is the state's most marginal seat held by backbencher Richard Harvey with a 0.1% margin, and King is held by Paula Luthan with a 0.6% margin, meaning a change of just a few hundred votes could see both MPs turfed out. The Australian Christian lobby is also campaigning hard, educating voters about the anti-Christian values uh, voting record of many MPs. Uh, Family First was relaunched uh, recently by two former South Australian Labor MPs, and uh, Tom Kenyon is going to be uh, heading up the upper house ticket for Family First. Family First executive voted to fold the party into former Liberal Senator Cory Bernardi's Australian Conservatives, which unsuccessfully contested the 2019 federal election. I remember it well. Success on Saturday for the relaunch Family First and for Bob Day's Australian Family Party will encourage Christians and Conservatives who have been without an effective political party since 2019. The tragic failure of the Christian Democratic Party in New South Wales uh, due to infighting has been a blow to the hopes of tens of thousands of Christians. Let's hope for something better this Saturday and who knows uh, where it might end up. I've been asked to say a few brief words at each of Evangelist Pat Mercedes' great Southland rallies which are being held next week. There's a groundswell of concern rising about where our nation is headed politically and culturally. I'm looking forward to uh, joining Pat and thousands of others as we pray and seek answers in Jesus. I'd love to say hello if you can make it. We'll be in Coffs Harbour, uh, Castle Hill, Southern Sydney and the New South Wales Central Coast from Sunday the 20th of March through to March the 27th. Details are available at mesitilive.com. Well, thanks. That's it for another week of Macquarie Street. I really appreciate your company and I'm very grateful to the help of Dave Pello and his team for production. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.